Sound. Let's. Um, we are going to welcome to August. August well, welcome to May Long Weekend Church, and also uh, today is Ascension Sunday. So we think today both about the about the long weekend that we have in our society, and about Jesus' uh, return to return to heaven as we sing together. Let's, um, you can take your uh, hymn book. We're going to sing, uh, we're going we're gonna to have today a uh, technology-free Sunday, projection-free Sunday. Sing it, Doug. It's in there. So you can take your hymn book, turn to number 270, 270. now. Oh, listen. For our call to worship this morning, we'll read from Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all of the earth. He has subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sound of trumpets. 
Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth, sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations, God is seated on his holy throne, the nobles of the nations assemble as the people at the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to our God, and he is greatly exalted. The word of God for God's people. We're going to sing uh, on that theme two songs that in some ways could be one big song, um, but we're, they, are, they are two songs. You can turn in your books to number 228, Rejoice the Lord is King. And we will, and after that one, we will, um, we will go forward to um, 234. Where are we here? There we go. Crown him with many crowns. Uh, so you can have your, have your finger in both of those pages. We'll go, uh, we'll go one to the next. On Rejoice the Lord is King, we'll sing verses 1, 2, and 3. And crown him with many crowns, verses 1, 2, and 4. Let's sing.
You're sounding good this morning. Um, just looking around, I was going to give a little lesson. This is a skill that is um, that we no longer use very much. How to read? How to read from a hymnal? Whether you read music or not, um, actually doesn't really matter. We have gotten used to singing with lyrics only, uh, and just as a reminder for those of us. For those of us who are my age and younger and who have done the majority of our adult life singing um, without music, uh, it is, you, so now that we've done it, you know, I'm, I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to give my little speech as if, as if the kids were here. There's the notes, which you may or may not be able to read. There's more notes under them, connected by a little line at the side, which you may or may not be able to read. Doesn't matter. You read along the top row, then you skip down, you read along the top row, then you skip down. Each of those chunks, which is called a system, each of those chunks is a verse, and then when you get to the bottom, you read verse, the second line, and, and so on. And um, I realize that just looking out at those of us here, this is a skill that people who have grown up in churches of a certain age, perhaps mid-50s and older now, um, learned, learned as children and has not been a skill that, that has been necessary uh, in churches since then and uh, is still occasionally useful for us. Let's sing a song that's from a different era. It is in your hymnal. It is number 244. Back in the day, this would be the mid to late 80s. Ron Swatsky and I both had lovely mullet hairdos that we proudly sprayed to perfection. And we sang a song. Ron and I attended somewhat different Bible colleges, and both of them, for some reason, got fascinated with this song, which is a quote from Scripture. You shall go out with joy, be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. During that time, that was during the, there was an explosion of, um, of kind of gospel-based evangelical churches in Latin America in those years. And some of those, that was one of the first eras when, when sort of missionaries from outside of North America started, started coming to North America to, to kind of work at, so, so instead, of, instead of being always the sending people, we, were, we, we became the receiving people of evangelical efforts for the first time. And and you had people with kind of flamenco-style guitars and, and Spanish, uh, Latin-oriented kind of just really music that, that kind of turned, turned the songs that we just sang, kind of the, the, big, the big Anglican traditional hymns of the church all in four-part harmony, turned that tradition on its head with a sort of a folky enthusiasm that, uh, that, that, really, that really was transformative at the time. 
Um, so we're going to sing this song several times in a row. You can, if you want to, um, use your books. You can, however, otherwise learn it the way we learned it at the time, which is by rote, just by, by simple repetition. One of the things that we, um, that we recognize as we come into public worship is the efforts and the, the results of our, of our life outside of, outside of public worship. And one of those things is money. We have a box at the back in which we collect money. A lot of you give electronically to the work of the church, our church and other organizations. We also recognize that 
some of the things that perhaps in our jobs we would, uh, we would do for billable hours. We, we, donate, we donate either stuff or time to the work of the church um, that is not necessarily money but is, is of tremendous value in the, in the work of the church. Um, and we need to recognize that in our worship. Uh, so let, let's pray as we, think about, as we think about money and time. Our God, we thank you for the abilities that we have. We thank you for the money that we are able to make in some ways. We thank you for the time and the skills and the resources and the social connections that we have, that we use in our jobs, that we use in our um, time in our family, that we use in your service in the work of the church, in this congregation, outside of here in the community, and in missionary and service efforts around the world that are funded and supplied with time and stuff by your good grace and by our willingness to hold the things that you have provided for us with an open hand. And so we pray today that you would um, bless those who give, both of time, money, resources, energy, opinion, and skills. And also as we and others receive the time and money and energy and skills donated by others, that your work would move forward in our own lives and in our community. Amen. Take up your hymn books again. You can turn to number 259. It's a short song we'll sing all four. Our scripture reading for this morning is from the first chapter of the book of Acts. Jesus has lived and ministered, has been arrested and executed as a result of the things that he taught and did during his ministry, 
has been resurrected from death. And now we pick up the story. So the writer Luke says, in my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus is lover of God. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the date that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. There they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going and suddenly two men dressed in white stood there beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back to you in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. The word of God for God's people. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for wonderful long weekends like this one. We want to pray a blessing on all of the people that are here, all the people who are not. We want to pray a blessing on our service as well. Lord, on days pleasant like this one and the two on either side of it, we pray that we will see your glory clearer than we ever have before. In your name we pray, amen. All right, no children's church today. But if you have your bulletins on you, now's the time to pull them on out. We have some things that we can point out there. It's a busy couple weeks that are coming up. So, First one, Wednesday, prayer meeting uh, at the church at 2 p.m. But that evening, uh, we're going to have a memorial service for Frank Bennett. Finally, after all of this time, it's going to work out that we can have that memorial service. So if you can make it on out there to remember Frank, there's going to be a time for sharing and refreshments at the end. So if you have any great stories that you want to share, then come prepared uh, to do exactly that. I look forward to finally getting to say goodbye. And as a part of that, just to really get interested, the 
As you probably know, he left me two uh, journals that he had just filled through uh, writing all of these different messages that he had planned out before. And so they're going to be on display. You can page through them. And the homily that I will give, one of them was just too perfect. So the homily for his own funeral is going to be written by Frank, and I am honored to be able to do that. So come on out for Frank's memorial at 7 p.m. All right, then Thursday, 7.30, girls' Bible study is going to be at Bethany's, and next Sunday is Sunday school, 9.45 a.m., and 10.45 is the worship service. Skipping down, day of prayer for camp is also next weekend, which is Pentecost, so expect that we will pray for the camps, but also that we will speak mostly on Pentecost. So it'll be a good Sunday because both of those are very fruitful topics. After that, May 30th, there's going to be the bridal shower for Amber here at the church. There is a registry list that is available at the mailboxes if you want to check that out. Uh, Make sure to come on out to show your support. Uh, Next, the EMC Festival. That's going to be at Rosenort on June 2nd to 4th. If you check out emconference.ca, you can find out more information about all the things that are going on. There are many things going on apart from just the conference council itself, Uh, although for me, that is always the highlight. So I am that kind of person that really likes that administrative thing, apparently. But EMC Festival, June 2nd, to fourth. Uh, Then June 11th is the Sunday school picnic and the wrap-up of Sunday school for the time being until uh, the fall. Make sure to come on out for that. It's going to be a good day. Uh, One shift that has happened is originally we were supposed to do the care home service at June 11th, uh, but because West End has their Sunday school picnic the week before and they were supposed to do their care service that day, we actually have switched. So the weekend of June 4th, yeah, that's the Sunday, June 4th, that is when we're going to be having our care home service. So uh, make sure to mark that down. June 4th is our care home service. Make sure to come on out for that. And then June 13th uh, is going to be the baby shower for Carrie and little Adeline Sawatsky. And that is going to be a great time. So that's June 13th. We have one more announcement I know of. If you have anything else you want to announce, then prep it in your mind as well. But first, Charlene. All right. So the formal part of Children's Church will be done um, next on June, well, June 11th, basically, will be the end of of Children's Church um, for the season. And um, the hope is that we would be able to continue on with just a ages three to six childcare for the summer. So maybe you aren't a children's church teacher, but you think maybe I could try one day. This would be that great opportunity for you to do that. So there will be a sign-up sheet. You could pick a day. I'd suggest you find someone to do it with you. Um, and and then it will be through the summer, except not long weekends either. So the sign-up sheet will be um, on that little welcome podium, and uh, feel free to sign up, and then um, I'll chat with you after to give you some instructions. Thank you. As a parent of a child between the ages of three to six, that's a great thing to sign up for. I always enjoy their mornings 
together on Sunday. We draw all sorts of things. But any other announcements? All right. Then as far as items of prayer go, the first is is that we want to pray for Bethany, uh, for the girls, and for David Cruz as they are currently at Abundance Springs this weekend. Uh, Everything I have heard so far says that it has been a very good time, and so we want to pray that it continues to be a very life-giving time that God has seen very clearly and that when they come home, that is just the fire that is burning in them. Uh, And then also safe travels for everyone there and back. So let's pray for Abundant Springs, let's pray for uh, the people there, and let's pray for the travel also. Uh, Speaking of traveling, long weekend, I know of quite a few people, even this congregation, that are off camping uh, because this is apparently the first nice May long weekend good for camping in the last five years or so, and so I can understand why they're off, but we want to pray for those traveling home, we want to pray for them while they're camping, that it is a good and a resting time. Uh, the next, uh, while it's not listed, uh, Henry Buchert is currently in the hospital. Uh, he had a fall. He hurt his leg. Uh, he was going to go for an MRI to see if it was fractured. Uh, that hasn't happened, or at least I don't know the results of it. And so we want to pray for Henry. It sounds like he'll be in rehab for that leg for at least a week. And so we want to pray for him while he is going through that. Uh, next... Uh, Miles Johnston passed away. Uh, he was the organize, not organizer, manager at Sprucedale Industries in Austin, and he was quite close to a number of people in the congregation. And so, we want to pray. Uh, we want to pray for the clients at Sprucedale. This will be very hard. They were very close, as well as Miles's uh, friends and, and family as well. So, and just Sprucedale in general. They do very important work, so. All right, let's go into a time of prayer. Dear God, on this bright morning, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for the sun shining. We want to say thank you that there's a bit of a break in the heat for today. And we want to say thank you for the heat tomorrow as well. It has been a good time to be able to be out in the bright blue sky and see your hand on all creation and your love for the world that you've made. And we thank you for that. We pray that it restores our soul as just being out there only can. God, that we put before you. And we want to pray for those that are on the road. We want to pray for everybody that is off camping or everyone that's off traveling, Lord, we pray for safety, we pray for rejuvenation, we pray that exactly what needs to happen is what happens. And at the same time, we think of Bethany and the girls and David Cruz off at Abundant Springs, and we want to say thank you for that event. We want to pray that it is exactly what it needs to be in order to light that fire in everyone there. God, we want to pray for that event. We want to pray your blessing on it, and we want to pray safety on the travel back as well, and good conversations the whole way. 
Lord, that we put before you. We put abundant springs before you this morning. And Lord, we also have other heavier things on our hearts as well. We want to pray for Henry as he is currently in the hospital. Lord, we pray that the rehab will be quick. We pray that there won't be a fracture in his leg and that whatever the weakness was that was there will be addressed through this. God, that we pray for. We pray for healing for Henry and we pray for encouragement for him and his family as well because it has been a terribly hard month for the Buchert household. And so God, we pray for comfort as well. Lord, we pray that Henry stays on our minds. And we want to pray for Miles Johnston and Spruce Dale. We want to pray for the clients there that this will be a hard time for because they were close. God, we pray for your comfort. We pray that you will know how to speak to them in ways that they understand and need during this difficult time. And God, we want to pray for Miles' friends also, that this will be a very hard loss for. Be with them, comfort them. And Lord, we want to also say thank you for the witness that Miles was, and that here at the end, he was all for you. Lord, we thank you for this life lived. And we pray, be there now. Lord, all of these things we put before you today, and all of these things we lay at your feet. In your name we pray, amen. All right. If you have your Bibles on you, as you saw, Acts 1, verses 1 to 11. Acts 1, verses 1 to 11. We have been away from following Jesus through his ministry for the last few weeks, uh, looking instead at the early church. And now we come back one more time for the time being to when Jesus was on the earth. And I say that because this is the end of that ministry as we see it in the Gospels and the beginning of a new ministry for our Lord because this is the ascension. It is... A very important passage for our life as Christians. And somehow, we never quite think of it like that, but hopefully we'll see a little bit clearer just why it's as important as it is. And as our passage begins, uh, dear Theophilus, we don't know who Theophilus is. We don't know if it's one person. We suggest, we probably think that it isn't because as Jeff pointed out, his name means lover of God. And that could likely refer to all sorts of people. But uh, dear Philophilus, it begins. And he references his first book because this is Luke who wrote this. An old familiar face. This is Luke who wrote this and it comes immediately after the book of Luke is how we're supposed to understand Acts. They are different books, but they're kind of two halves of the same story. They're two halves of the story of how the church came to be. Luke talking all about uh, 
the birth of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, the death and the resurrection, uh, before ending on a short telling of the ascension as well. And now Acts picks up. And we know that they kind of go back to back because not just that reference, but also this first passage, like the first five verses, and really the entirety of the ascension almost acts like a... You know when you're watching like a serial TV show, they're kind of like last on, and then they give a recap of the episode before. That's kind of what we're getting here. Uh, But where in Luke, the story of the ascension is much more truncated, here we get it more fleshed out. Here we get not just, and they walked and Jesus said the part about wait in Jerusalem and then off he went and they ran off praising God. Here we have a conversation that actually happened there and it's an important conversation as well. But carrying on in the the connection between the two, there's an important thing that we need to note there and that is also that As Luke goes on explaining it, he talks about how in the time between the resurrection and the ascension, they spent a lot of time together, 40 days. And there was many proofs that happened in that time that Jesus was, in fact, alive. And that's a wonderful thing to note because for Luke, it is very, very important that we know that Jesus is alive. And we know that just not because he says that, but also the thing that is going on between Jesus and the disciples when this story takes place. He was eating with them. And for Luke, that Jesus likes to have meals with his disciples. That is something that comes up time and time again. Because of course it does. That is a wonderful time to get to know your neighbors. That's a wonderful time to spend that life together. It's how you have that communion together. But after Jesus is resurrected, it's important for another reason as well, like we've talked about before. Because it shows us just what it means that Jesus was alive, just how that looked. And by that, what I mean is these days when we're trying to discredit uh, that the resurrection ever happened, usually how we would go about doing that is we would go along the lines of, well, Jesus went through these things, sure, but clearly he never actually died, right? Like that's how people would try to discredit the, the resurrection these days. He never died. And so when he got up out of that tomb and walked around, well, there, he just was never dead. But back in those days, in the early church, that, that is not at all how they would have discredited it. How instead they would have done that would have been much more spiritual. Because this is a time when the people saw people being crucified all the time. This is a period of time where they have seen what it's like to have a spear jab through your side. They knew Jesus was dead. They wouldn't have any question about that. Instead, how they would have tried to challenge this and been like, no, what you apostles have seen and are willing to die for isn't actually that Jesus was alive, alive. It was instead that Jesus was A ghost. That is something that comes up an awful lot in sources of this time. Because this is a period of time where they just assumed ghosts were everywhere. They just assumed that everything could be explained by ghosts. You had a bad run of luck, well, it was the ghosts. If you had a good run of luck, well, also, but, you know, friendly ghosts. Maybe 
Casper or something. But whatever the case is, it was ghosts, their explanation for everything. And so you apostles are willing to die for your belief that Jesus came back. Well, I'm sorry to tell you this. It's clear that you saw a ghost because how could it be anything else? People just don't get resurrected. And that's why Luke spends this time because there's also another thing that we know from ghosts as they understood from that period and that is that ghosts are ethereal. Ghosts are just, you walk through them, you pass through them, they're vapor, they're wind. Ghosts don't eat. Surprising how much that comes up in sources from the time. Ghosts don't eat. And so Jesus is here eating with his disciples That doesn't just mean that he is alive. That means he is alive and he has a human body like ours, a human body like ours that needs sustenance, a human body like ours that needs food. And that is an important part of the story of the ascension. We're going to put a pin on that and come back to it. And so here they are. Jesus and the apostles, they're all sitting around and they are eating. And that is when Jesus decides that it's time to tell them the important thing that we're told in the book of Luke in a much more laissez-faire kind of way. Here, it's, they're sitting down and Jesus busts this out. There's going to be a time coming that you do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you what he has promised Because remember, I've told you about this before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days' time, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Depending on your translations, you will be baptized in fire by the Holy Spirit. And that, that would have gotten the apostles just absolutely revved up. We're not going to talk terribly much about what it means to be baptized in the Spirit, because next week is Pentecost, so we don't want to steal the lead. But all throughout the Old Testament, there's examples of that happening. Examples of of God sending the Holy Spirit to be on individual people. And every time that happens, then they just are equipped. They are on fire. They are filled with the confidence of being sent by God that only the Spirit on you can give. When the Spirit comes upon people in the Old Testament, think Samson, think Moses, think a good number of the judges, then they can do the impossible. And so, imagine that you are one of the apostles right now, and you are being told that, and you are remembering all that our Lord has taught you, not just over the last 40 days, but over the last three years as well, Often when we try to summarize our faith, we, we far too summarize it. We, we put it in far too small. We, we, we try to narrow it down to, well, what the Christian faith is, is you accept Jesus into your heart. He forgives your sin. You go to heaven when you die. But if you read the Gospels, that's in there, sure. But far more prominent is talk of the coming kingdom of heaven. It is soaking through almost all of the pages. 
in the Gospels, particularly in Luke, the coming kingdom of heaven that will see those that are on the bottom lifted up, that will see those that are oppressing them taken down a peg so that they're on the same plane as the rest of us under our Lord, the coming kingdom of heaven that will see those who are hungry fed, will see those that do not know justice have it, and will see those who have not seen justice for their actions a day of their life have that same justice as well. The coming kingdom of heaven that the ministry of Jesus will bring and that following Jesus as he leads will build. That is what the apostles are so anxious for, are so excited for, because they have been told that this is coming day in, day out for three years, and they yearn for it. So imagine what they could do to help bring that time with the Holy Spirit on them and equipping them to do just that. And so they close in around Jesus. They kneel at his feet, And then they ask him that. Does this mean that finally the kingdom is going to come? Does this mean finally, and you can feel just how excited they are, does this mean that finally the kingdom of Israel will be restored? That is referring to a very different thing than Jesus is referring to when he talks about the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of Israel is a very different thing. If you have your Bibles and you are not doing anything, you can open it to 1 Samuel. Start reading from there. 1 Samuel to the end of 2 Chronicles, there's a number of prophets in there as well. That is the story of the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judea. That is the story of the kingdom of Israel. And... All this time, when Jesus has been talking about how soon the kingdom of heaven was going to come, soon the kingdom of God was going to arrive, here we see that what they assumed that meant was that the kingdom of Israel would be restored. That kingdom. And that's a very different thing. And we'll come back to that as well. And so Jesus, he takes it in stride. He says, it's not for you to know when the kingdom will come. But with the Holy Spirit on you, it is on you to build as the Spirit leads, to get the word out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth itself. And with that, He was taken up. Almost mid-sentence, it feels like. He was taken up. And the cloud covers their eyes. And for a while, they seem to be waiting for just seeing Jesus again. Not completely out of nowhere. I mean, Jesus does have a bit of a tendency to disappear for stretches at this point. So maybe they thought he was going to come back. But before them appear two men clothed in white. And it says something about the state of laundry at that period of time that synon- like 
That's shorthand for saying people are angels. There's two people clad in white. Clearly, they are angels. But they say to the men, why are you just standing here staring at the sky? Jesus has been taken away. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of God the Father. And someday, he will return. But between now and then, you got work to do. And that's the story of the ascension. Heavily paraphrased, but a wonderful story, a wonderful passage. As I said, the story of the ascension, it's, it's an important one to our faith. It's an important one to our faith because it tells us a number of things about who Jesus is, what Jesus values, what Jesus is up to. A number of things that we have talked about when we've hit on the ascension, I think every year since I've been here, and then actually the year before, I think actually the ascension might have been what I, one of the candidate sermons I preached before I even came. It's, it's important for a number of reasons that we're not going to be able to hit on all of them because they are numerous, but for today, how about two? One less important, one much more so. So as far as the less important one, Luke does make quite a big deal about how there is this difference there between how all this time Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven and how it will come, and yet the apostles are just sold. What that means is the renewal of the kingdom of Israel. And they don't think that for no reason, because one of the hallmarks of the kingdom of heaven is, is that the chosen people will be lifted up. And if there was anyone being oppressed at that period of time, it is certainly the Israelites, simply, certainly the Jewish people. But again, this week, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel and start reading. It doesn't take very long to catch that the kingdom of Israel has nothing in common with the kingdom of heaven that is to come. Not only does it have nothing to do, the kingdom of Israel, it's a violent place. It is a place that just constantly is dealing with persecution of the people under it. What's telling is right at the beginning of it, Samuel, like the people come to Samuel and they're like, appoint us a king to rule over us. And Jesus is like, well, if that's what they want, well, if God is like, if that's what you want, then that's what we'll do. But also, like, no, he will persecute you and you will thank him for it because you'll feel safe. That is kind of where we start. And it just gets worse from then on in. It gets to the point where things are so bad, so far from what God wants for us that he orchestrates the downfall of the kingdom of Israel, not once, but twice, just because they are oppressing those under it. They are the opposite of the kingdom of heaven and they are saying that this is God's will, that they are doing what they are doing. And yet here we are in the book of Acts, and after all of these years of being told that the coming kingdom of heaven is going to be this place that sees liberation, this place that sees just uplifting, this place that sees justice and 
equality and equity under God, this wonderful place, they just can't grasp that it won't be the same thing. They have to be the same thing. There's no part of their minds that assume that these are different concepts. The coming kingdom of heaven has to be a political entity. It has to be a nation state. It has to be this. And I think a part of us, we kind of like, knowing our Bibles, we kind of read that and we laugh a little bit, being like, ah, they're so silly after all this time. They just still don't see it, but... I think we kind of think like that same way still ourselves. We think that as Christians, if we're going to be going out there and we're going to be building the kingdom of heaven, then obviously that has to be political. Obviously, if the kingdom of heaven is being properly built, then that has to mean that our politicians are good Christian leaders that inflict all of the Christian ideals they have on those underneath them. We've tried that. Many times throughout history, we've tried that in Christendom, we've tried that throughout our history, and the one thing that that always has in common is is that the people get oppressed and, well, it's their fault because this is what God wants. There's a difference between the kingdom of heaven that will come, that we are to build, And the idea that the only way to build that is to make that the government, make that the state, that the kingdom of heaven has to be that. There's a difference because as we are tasked and led by the Holy Spirit, it's pretty clear as we go through the book of Acts that the kingdom will be built not through the government. The kingdom will be built through the Spirit leading us and equipping us in the church. And whenever those two things get mixed up, it just goes bad. This isn't to say that the kingdom of heaven won't be a real physical thing, that it's just some spiritual thing in our minds. Jesus talks about it like it will be a real thing that has come The church, when it's at its best, lives out what it means to be the kingdom as a real and tangible thing that is living out as Christ taught. But the moment that gets wrapped up with the government and power and violence, then just it always always has gone one way. And we are warned that that is the situation right here. So, when you vote, vote from your principles, vote from your ideals, vote from the fact that you are a Christian, sure, but don't confuse that with what we are actually tasked to do when Jesus tells us to build the kingdom. We are called to build the church. If you're called to serve in the government, then do so. And do so with your ideals. Do so with your Christian, with Christ in your heart. But also know that the kingdom is to be built through the church. Not a different way. And that is as 
Mennonite a teaching as you can get. But the other thing that we can take from this passage, and I think for ascension in particular, this is what should really strike us in our heart, is notice how Luke, he spends all that time talking about how Jesus is alive. Not just that Jesus is alive, but Jesus is so alive that he eats. He has a human body, the same as us. A human body made of creation around us, same as ours. Luke goes out of his way that of all of the things he talks about the day before Jesus goes to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, he spends time hammering down that Jesus is human. He is God, sure, but he is human. And notice how once Jesus goes off to heaven, we don't see any mention of there just being a random body lying on the ground anywhere. Jesus and his human body go up to heaven. There is a human being in Jesus in heaven right now. I'll grant it one clothed immortal. As we are promised one day as followers of Christ, we will know as well. But it isn't just that Jesus, his soul, and his spirit go off to heaven and his body is left behind. And that's important. That's important because it says an awful lot about what matters. It says an awful lot about how we are to think of things. It says a lot about what we are to value. As Christians, I think we have a bit of a history really playing up the sinfulness of the body. I think that that would be fair to say. I think that that goes back throughout most of our history. But it's not really an idea you get from the Bible. When Paul talks about sins of the flesh and getting your body under control, it isn't because he's talking about how evil and how wicked your body is. It's because in Jewish understanding and Christian understanding from the Bible, Your body is a part of you, the same as your mind, the same as your soul. They are a part of you together. It's not when you die, your soul and your mind go off to heaven and your body is just left. There's a reason they talk so much about being clothed, immortal, given new bodies. That's what we talk about every time we have a funeral. As human beings, you aren't just a mind and a soul that has this sinful body that you have to put up with until the day comes when we are in heaven. It's that all three of those things together are you. And that has some pretty big implications to it. For starters, I think often we want to say that our bodies are something wicked that needs to be played down, that needs to be denied, that needs to be cast aside so that we can live in our minds, so that we can live in strengthening our soul and, you know, the body just weighs that down. If you want to actually be a good follower of God, that's all in your head, that's all in your soul, but not so. It's with all of you that you are called to follow God. Mind, body, soul, Jesus says it himself. 
as does Paul. It means that on those days when we look in the mirror and we absolutely just do not like what we see, and there is just shame when we look at our bodies for this reason or the other, that isn't how Christ sees it. Because think of it, this story of Jesus Christ is the story of God himself coming into his creation, choosing to be born a part of it, and then taking that body back with him to heaven. Does that sound like somebody that doesn't value what it means to have a body, what it means to be part of creation? I don't think so. And yet all too often when we look at ourselves, that's what we're doing. We're, ugh, if only I could get rid of this. Or when we look at others, how often do we do the same? Like, ugh. That isn't how Christ sees us. That isn't how Christ sees others. And also while we tend to think of our human bodies as apart from creation because we're above and beyond it, that. Read Genesis 1 again. Read Genesis 2 again. We're dust breathed into. Our bodies are a part of creation itself. We are a part of creation itself. God became a part of that creation himself, and he is still a part of that creation in heaven even now. Clearly, that means there is value that our Lord places on it. Not just value, that amount of value. So that's something that you can take from the ascension. Clearly, our Lord loves the world that he made. Clearly, he loves the physical part of it. Clearly, there is value in it to him. So remember that the next time you just can't stand the sight of yourself. God sees you and loves you for all of who you are. But also that Jesus is up in heaven next to God the Father right now, physical as he is, means that the one that is, as Romans puts it, mediating on our behalf to God the Father, speaking on our behalf, being like, ah, those humans, they, they should have a place here. As he does that, he does that as someone that is fully human, which means that there is a place for us, fully human as we are in heaven, next to God the Father as well. I think often we forget that. Often we maybe think that as Christians there's a place for us, but like we tend to very quickly be looking at the world around us and thinking, oh, well, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Why should I care one way or the other? Well, Clearly, God does. The one who is mediating on our behalf to God is somebody that cares for us this much. The one that is in heaven right now is human, so clearly there is a place for us there as well. That is what we can take from the ascension. In the story of the ascension, we are told many great truths. We are told that our Lord 
human as he is, is in heaven right now where he is waiting for us. Someday he will come again. And when he does, he will put the finishing touches on the kingdom that we are to build as his church. Between now and then, though we don't know when then is, we know that it is soon, it is told time and time again to us that it is soon. But between now and then, there are people to love. There are people to show Christ's love to. There are ourselves to love and remember that Christ values. There is a whole kingdom to be built. And in the ascension, we see that now, now is the time to go out there and do just that. Amen. Thanks, Russell. Let's close our service. Take your gray books again and turn to number 262. 262, holy, holy, holy. In the congregation that I grew up in, this, uh, this, this hymn was number one in the book, and we used to joke that if uh, the song leader had gotten in late on Saturday night and had forgotten that they were leading on Sunday morning, and if their approach to song leading had been to just quickly start at the beginning, this was number one, and you could, you could uh, guarantee that we would be singing holy, holy, holy if, if that had happened. Um, so now I had to actually kind of go hunting for it because I didn't know where it was uh, in this book. Uh, we'll sing the first three verses, Russell will pray, and we'll sing the last one.
And for our benediction, we turn to the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his face and give you his peace. Go now and serve our God.